Hyde and welcome to the Rory's Nitro podcast, the show that rips up the buy rates and TV ratings and declares our own winner in some of pro wrestling's biggest head-to-head battles. I'm your host, Lee Carlos Cunningham, back once again on my Lonesome Dove to look at the September 9th episodes of Raw and Nitro from 1996. Back on that main timeline, this is the one that started it all and the one that I'm most passionate about, but I do get sidetracked quite a bit. Keeps me enjoying it, not pigeonholed and too bored. So apologies if I've been away from this one for too long, but back we are now. The ratings are showing a pretty steady um, growth for Nitro overall with a 3.7 to 2.4 they beat Raw on this week. We're in the midst of the NWO storyline with new members being added. Raw, of course, is working on its intercontinental intercontinental title tournament as well as setting up Mankind for a title shot against Shawn Michaels. So some interesting stuff going on in both, uh, both wrestling companies right now. We're going to go over to Raw first, however, and have a look and see what they're doing right there. Tonight, the battle for Ahmed Johnson's intercontinental title rages on. The Caribbean legend, Savio Vega, faces the monster responsible for Ahmed's injury, Farouk, in the final first-round matchup for the Intercontinental Championship. Will it be Sid, Farouk, Savio, Owen, whoever gets it, you're going to have hell to pay when I get back. Plus, reports of The Undertaker's demise were premature, to say the least. Tonight, the man from the dark side is here, alive and kicking in his first match since the Boiler Room Brawl at SummerSlam. God have mercy. Raw has a commentary team of JR, Kevin Kelly, and Jerry Lawler, which is a three-man booth I don't recall seeing too often, but I didn't watch the episodes of Raw in 96 and 97, so maybe it is a bit of a staple. The show, as you would have heard, began with JR running down the Intercontinental title tournament so far. Savio Vega versus Farouk is in action tonight, as well as we're going to see The Undertaker back on Raw. We start off with Savio Vega taking on Farouk in the final match of the first round of the tournament. Farouk, of course, in his gladiator outfit and comes out with Sonny. He gets a match started with a headbutt and a shoulder block before eating a spin kick for a two count. Farouk hits his lovely spine buster for a two, a snap suplex for a two as we go out to a commercial. When we come back, Savio peels off a drop kick. JR makes a crack about Tupac and Jerry Lawler says that he's... um that one of the wrestlers is taking more shots than Tupac. This is um, pretty rough. Tupac had just been shot in the days gone by and was going to die. So, yeah, I'm not sure why JR and Jerry Lawler thought that was worthy of a joke on Raw at this point in time. Pretty rough. The match ends when Farouk hits a Dominator for the 1-2-3. This one went a little bit long for the action and the two guys that were in there, and the piped-in crowd noise was really bad, so that distracted me in the match a little bit. Sonny gets on the mic and says next up is Sid, who comes out and the refs hold them apart um, before we transition away from the ring and go to get well messages to Ahmed Johnson, which I'll splice in here coming from heels and faces. Ahmed Johnson, hey, you listen to me right now, my friend. I hope you do good. I mean, get back soon as possible, but hey, listen to you, doctor, my friend. Ahmed, your campaign didn't last very long and it's all over now. Uh, man, I'm sorry what happened to you, man. I think you're one of the greatest competitors of the World Wrestling Federation. I want to see you come back. Get well soon. Get well soon, son, because when you come back, I'm going to pound the other kidney. Look at this man, Johnson. Hey, 
Hey, y'all, man. Get well soon, man. Looking forward to meeting you. I'm looking forward to working with you. From there, we have Shawn Michaels coming to the ring with Jose Lothario. There's a Spanish guy I don't recognize getting in to interview them about mankind. Sean tells us about Jose versus Jim Cornette at In Your House um, and hits us for the first time with Don't Hunt What You Can't Kill. That would become a staple in 2002, I believe. Um, and they show his Playgirl pics as well. That's a bit of a mixed bag of a segment, that one, but we move right along. We get a ad for the debut of Livewire coming up. I don't think anything could possibly go wrong with that show. Live call-ins always work so well in wrestling. And then we go to another debut. It is the stalker, Barry Windham, coming out to take on T.L. Hopper. Yes, T.L. Hopper is still here in 1996 on Raw. We get 10 seconds into the match and we get a picture-in-picture with Owen and the Bulldog cutting a promo. I'm sorry, Owen and Brian Pillman cutting a promo. They're talking about Brett being at the pay-per-view and Owen says they're going to reconcile because Brett has seen the error of his ways. So, so much for this big debut for the stalker, hey? We get a gut wrench suplex for a two, a clothesline for a two. JR apologizes for some of his recent comments in regards to Razor Ramon and Diesel, so he should apologize for that. And Wyndham hits a superplex for the one, two, three in what was a bit of a dud and no way to debut a character if you've got really high hopes for him. From there, we see um, footage of Mr. Perfect talking to all of Triple H's girls at ringside one by one. Um, This show's moving a mile a minute. It's transitioning in and out of things so quickly. We then get a Jerry Lawler and Mark Henry recap from their little feud from a few weeks back. And we go into our next match, Freddie Joe Floyd versus Crush with Clarence Mason. Um, Freddie Joe Floyd, another great new gen era character here. Crush hits a press slam and a leg drop for a two, picks him up off the mat to keep the punishment going. We try to get Clarence Mason, Mason sorry, on commentary, but he's having consistent mic issues, so there's no real sound there from him. We get a big boot and then the heart punch from Crush for the one, two, three in another bit of a damp squib of a, of a match here, nothing too much going on. We then recap Bob Backlund bringing back the Iron Sheik, so they say they're going to bring in a competitor to go straight to the top. Wonder who that could be. And we go to our main event. It is Salvatore Sincere taking on The Undertaker. Undertaker comes out with no entrance gear and walking quicker than usual on a bit of a mission. He stalks and beats down Sal, um, who gets a few hope spots. He's undefeated at this point in time, the commentary team tell us. He hits a jawbreaker and then a Russian leg sweep for a two. We go picture in picture again and we see Gold Dust talking about the final curtain match against The Undertaker at In Your House. Taker hits a side, uh, sorry, a sidewalk slam from Sal, who's in control of the match here. Um, JR says that a um, a snag has occurred with Razor Ramon's negotiations, but Diesel's are going well, so he's not apologizing for saying he was bringing them back. But um, a little twist in the story here: a power slam from Sincere, an elbow, and then he starts slapping the Undertaker, who's having none of that. He sits up, hits a flying clothesline, a huge choke slam, and then a tombstone for the one, two, three to send the fans home happy. This episode of Raw was probably a little mundane for my liking. Nothing bad on it or nothing terrible, but we're really in the midst of transitioning from some of the good characters um, away from some of the duds. So we've got Undertaker highlighted in the main event with a bit of a more serious attitude. Sid looking good when he comes out. Sean's obviously still the champ. But then we've got the likes of T.L. Hopper, Farouk still in his gladiator outfit, Freddie Joe Floyd, etc. So... It really was a bit of a mixed bag, this episode. Nothing to write home about, but nothing that I could really cut them up about either. So, just 
just kind of there. But I'm looking forward to advancing, especially to mind games coming up and through to the end of 96 and end of 97, because I do believe that's where some of the real gems occur. Anyway, that will do it for Raw for now. We're going to head to the halftime segment. And just like last episode, we're going to have a look at an article from an old WWF magazine. Let's go. Hell time. Half a perky, half a zany nigga. Hell time. Half a paintball up ain't my nigga. Hell time. Trying to rock that stick, turn it by that. Hell time. Ooh. Yeah. Today's episode of WWF Magazine is from August 1989 and has the Rockers on the cover. The titles on the cover are The Rockers, Sean and Marty, Ready to Rock the Rougeaus, SummerSlam is Coming, Hulk and Zeus Prepare for Confrontation, King Hacksaw, The Tough Guy Takes the Throne, Ronnie Garvin, The Rugged Ref, Riles Valentine, Q&A with Heenan, The Brain Gloats Over the Gold. And that section is exactly what we're going to have a look at. Q&A with Bobby the Brain Heenan. These worked interviews are always a bit of a laugh, but when you've got a character like Heenan, there should be some gems in there. Let's jump right into WWF. Although Barry is a fine wrestler and athlete, how can you even compare him with the warrior? Talking about Barry Horowitz there. Heenan, you're right, Horowitz is a lot smarter. WWF. Onto other topics, your family, as you consider the wrestlers under your managerial guidance, consists of more athletes and ravishing Rick Rude. For instance, the Brain Busters, what plans do you have in store for them? Heenan, the tag team championships of the world, that's what. you got to understand something. Tully Blanchard and Arn Anderson are thinking wrestlers, not just two ham and eggers off the street. They use their minds. Now, when you compare my Brain Busters with Demolition, my men are without a doubt the better wrestlers, better athletes, and better looking. And they make me money in the process. WWF, by whom the Brooklyn Brawler, he has fallen short of the stick many times against the Rooster, who, by the way, is an outstanding wrestler. Who will pluck the Red Rooster? Heenan, you see, in this world, what you create, you can easily destroy. I created that nothing happening idiot into a top wrestler with my own hands, and I'm going to pluck the Rooster's feathers one by stinking one. Yeah, reading over this, it's probably not got the usual Heenan charm in it, but I guess that's because it's probably written in his words rather than actually speaking to him. Um, having a bit of a flick through the magazine, some standouts for me were that there's still the Jesse the Body um, Ventura article. They've got the ice cream bar ads. There's some really good shots of Demolition taking on the Brain Busters. And then we've got a Feel the Heat SummerSlam preview with Brutus and Hulk up against Macho and Zeus with a big ad for No Holds Barred in the middle of it. This stands out because I just got my Hogan and Zeus No Holds Barred set in the mail this week, so definitely topical, and some really good photos. The one thing about the old WWF magazines is the pictures were incredible, and of course, my favourite thing from back in the day was always going through the merchandise catalogue, having a bit of a flick through. We've got the classic Hulk Rules shirt here, a bunch of Ultimate Warrior swag, the foam belts. I still want one of those if anyone's got one of them laying around in a basement or something. Um autograph picture sets so you could get an autograph um of bushwhackers brett hart hulk hogan and the barber for 3.95 um interesting there i wonder if they're actual genuine autographs but the price sort of tells me they're probably not um and then of course the shirts the macho man shirt demolition the rockers some really really good stuff anyway that'll do it for the magazine recap for this week that's half time over and done with and we're going to head on over to nitro Along with the living legend Larry Zabisco, I 
We are less now than one week away from WCW's Fall Brawl featuring War Games, where it will be WCW against the NWO. But after last week, Larry, there is no doubt in my mind, the balance of power has swung now to the New World Order. Power, that's the key word. They have power in leadership, and I hate to be the bearer of bad tidings, but along with Mr. DiBiase's financial backing, they now have power in numbers, the giant being the biggest trader since Benedict Arnold. Nitro Hour 1 starts off with the commentary team of Tony Schiavone and Larry Zabisco as usual, and they ponder who the fourth man will be in the war games for the NWO since the giant is taking on the macho man, as you would have heard there in the opening. Our first match is Pat Tanaka taking on Super Callow. Pat Tanaka starts off with a big back kick and a flying elbow before Super Calo hits a tough, uh, a tough, a toffee crisp, a top rope cross body and a plancher to the outside. Um, we see some teenagers in NWO shirts outside with what looks like a stack of books or something. Pat Tanaka hits a beautiful sit-out powerbomb out of a runner attempt from Super Calo. Pat Tanaka is looking really good in this match here, actually, to be fair. Um, unfortunately, though, the ending gets botched as Super Calo goes to reverse a super gut wrench suplex from from the buckles, but sort of lands awkwardly on top of Tanaka and picks up the one, two, three in a finish that didn't look all that great. Gene is then with Rick Steiner, who cuts an absolutely awful stuttering promo about Lex Luger. The match last week, uh, last wasn't last episode, but the last Nitro that we talked about. The tag match ended at the lockup where Nick Patrick called for a DQ and Rick Steiner said, I, 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 I could beat him. I think I think I could beat him. And like it, this is nothing like Rick Steiner at all. I've never heard him talk like this. And Lex just comes in cocky as anything like, you're not going to beat me, mate. And Steiner's there just stumbling through it all. A really weird segment here as we go to commercial. We then get a paid-for NWO ad-hocking their new T-shirt. Um, it's the classic black-and-white box shirt, but the the words New World Order are not underneath the NWO. I think that changes later on. In fact, I know it does, but I um, didn't realise there was this early version knocking around. We find out Glacier debuted, debuted on WCW Pro. What the fuck? That is the dick move of the week. I've been looking forward to this guy for... Well, well over a year, but not an actual year, if you know what I mean, for the, the reviews here. <laughs> they just debuted him on a shitty weekend show. Come on, WCW. We then go to the amazing French Canadians. Yeah, that's right. It's a Quebecers without the Mountie outfits debuting, taking on the Nasty Boys. Um, the I, I keep going to say the Quebecers. The French Canadians sing the Canadian national anthem for a moment before getting jumped to a big pop. We see those teenagers I talked about earlier handing out NWO flyers in the crowd. Jacques Nail Jacques Jacques Nail sags with the flag. Larry Zabisco leaves the commentary table for a moment to get a look at the flyers and then just throws them on the floor. The heels hit some nice double team splashes for a two count, and then two of those top rope sentons with the assist as well. But Brian Nobbs makes a save. He then nails Carlulet with the flag, and they pick up the one, two, three. Mean Gene comes in, and the Nasty Boys are really over at this point in time. They cut a promo on Harlem Heat to a good response from the crowd as we go out to our next commercial break. Our next match is Scott Norton in a submission match taking on Sergeant, Sergeant Pitbull Craig Pittman. Craig Pittman hits a hip toss. JY Steel. JY. I cannot talk today. JYD style headbutts. You know when he gets on all fours and sort of crawls, but he's popping up off the floor to a standing Norton, headbutting him in the gut. An arm breaker by Norton and then some outside brawling. 
We get back in the ring and Scott Norton locks on an arm bar and he's got it in deep when ice ice train, I wrote ice tea as, as like shorthand, but ice tea definitely does not come out. It is ice train and throws in a towel um, and then he has a stare down with Scott Norton. We're told they're going to have a submission match at Fall Brawl. Gene's then with Lex Lugo, Ric Flair, and Arn Anderson, and they're questioning where is Sting. Benoit and Mongo come in, and they all add their thoughts on the War Games match coming up at Fall Brawl. We get a funny moment as Benoit goes to take his turn talking, but he's got his back to the camera, and Flair just sort of gently grabs his arm and subtly maneuvers his body position so that he is seeing the camera. Um, some pro work there by Flair. Blink and you'd miss that. We have a break and we come back and we get a recap of DDP's feud with Eddie and Chavo Guerrero. And then we go to our next match, Joe Gomez versus Hoovertude. Mike Tanay joins commentary, as is a custom when any foreigner comes into the ring. Hoover hits a drop kick and a baseball slide and then an awful um, head scissors from the apron that doesn't work. You know, like he sort of goes to just put his heels around his head and flip him over the ropes, but there's obviously nowhere near enough Um traction to make that happen they botch a rana from the top rope into a block and then hoovy hits a corkscrew splash for the one two three this was short and a little bit sloppy um not the usual high standard that you get from the cruiserweights jeans in with nick patrick who's taking a look back on the dq that he called on the lex luger sting versus steiner brothers match that i talked about earlier we're seeing the NWO flyers being put on cars from the actual NWO wrestlers now. And then we see Ted DiBiase talking to someone in a limo. We get an ad for Saturday night, which will feature DDP versus Jim Duggan. That should be a cracker. Lex Luger, Scott Norton, and the Nasty Boys. We then go to Lex Luger versus Rick Steiner. Rick hits a big clothesline. We have the hour two countdown not too long into this match as well, but they don't pull away for as long and have big fireworks now. They transition a lot smoother. It's now Mike Tanay staying on with Eric Bischoff and Bobby Heenan. Lex hits a big forearm for a two. Rick hits a power slam for a two. A lovely overhead belly-to-belly suplex for a two. Rick hits a power... Uh, sorry, Lex hits a power slam of his own. Nick Patrick then comes out and calls Lex Luger to leave the ring and come to the back, subsequently getting him counted out. Um, we get a move here. I don't, for those of you that have seen the um, the angle between Mankind and The Rock for the I Quit match where they play his voice over the PA, we get an angle very similar to that here. Obviously, this predates that, and I didn't realize this, but it's a Sting promo talking about trust. And as the promo finishes, DiBiase on the outside of the limo talks into the limo as though he was saying it then and there. I'll splice it in because I'm not sure how well I'm explaining that here. I'm tired of this stuff, this DTA stuff. Oh, no. Don't trust anybody. He's got to go. You know why? What? You better learn to trust somebody right trust now. Oh, no. We're up trust the trust we got no way out. It's either you trust him or you don't. Look at me what? in the eye. You know I'm. What in the world is going on? I know I can trust you. I know I can trust you. I knew that you could trust him. I know I can trust him too. Look, I'm looking at him. I'm looking at you. Everything's going to be okay. No. That stings like he's talking him. to DBS. Hey, no. Hey, hey, stay right there. Stay right there. No. Oh, where is he? Where's who? You know who? Where's Luger? Stinger? Stinger, what would Stinger be doing with me? Look, Luger, I'm standing out here where? in the parking lot, running my own. No! No! That's it. Oh, that's right. Oh, no! Guys. Come on, finish. Oh, that's right. Oh, we're in bad trouble oh, now. We're no! in bad trouble. Oh, no! Leave this. Sting has turned. He's been
No. Oh, you thought you'd never see this. No. I said you can't trust anybody. You can't trust a soul here. And there you see it. Sting standing side by side with the NWO, beating up his partner Lex Luger and getting into that limousine. Anyway, after that, you heard Lex Luger comes out um, and he gets jumped by Sting. And then the NWO beat him down. A really great angle bar the, you know, not the best execution of the voice, but otherwise that was cool. The commentary team, obviously, from here go a little bit, you know, upset and downtrodden talking about Sting turning, how he's always been the one constant. We show a lot of angles and recaps here now. Um, Ted DiBiase and the Giant from last week, Sting and Lex with Nick Patrick, um... This stuff should have been shown at the start of the show. And, like, I'm talking, like, multiple angles rolled into video packages that goes for well over five minutes, which just in the middle of the show, like, I would have turned to Raw at this point in time. So, I, I don't think this is something they're going to do all the time. I, at least I hope not. But, yeah, this was just oddly out of place here. We get another another um, showing of the sh shirt ad for the NWO. And then we see the WCW guys trying to get into the limos, but they're empty. There were two limos, sorry, one parked in front of the other. I didn't mention that earlier. We then go to Billy Kidman taking on Rey Mysterio for Rey's Cruiserweight title. Rey starts off with a nice Rana from the inside to the floor, then springboards um, into a Billy Kidman drop kick back inside the ring. Rey's got a bandage on his stomach here, and I wonder if that's some of the artwork he gets done later on being um, covered up. Billy Kidman with a top rope splash for a two, and then Rey hits a version of his dropping the dime coming off the top rope springboard into a somersault sort of sent on onto Kidman for a one, two, three. Great looking finish, but this was way too short for um, two of the better cruiserweight wrestlers in WCW. Our next match is the Faces of Fear taking on the Public Enemy, who of course have their horrible overdub. I'm not sure what music they were coming out to, but this one they put over it is crap. We have a commercial before the match starts, and when we come back, we're into split screen brawl mode, as is the style whenever the Public Enemy wrestle. And what looks like a sort of a little bit too tall to be a leprechaun comes out and chases Jimmy Hart around the ring for a few laps and just leaves. We cut backstage, um, no split screen, just straight backstage and ignore the match to the four horsemen and Lex with Gene. Um, they do go back to a split screen eventually and show some of the match, but I'm going to copy, uh, sorry, splice in some of the promo here because it's really good stuff and advancing the storyline. Go away, Gene, take it. Uh, I thank you very much, Eric Bischoff. Uh, we're back here, all of us very, I guess, very mixed up right now. Emotions are running high. Lex Luger, I tried talking to him. He's beside himself. Arn Anderson, for the record, maybe you can sort out what we saw earlier on out of the parking lot here on Nitro. I'm not disturbed that Luger lost a friend. I'm not sad that I lost a teammate. I guess what I am is standing here in shock because the only constant... Sting, over the last 10 years since they actually bought the company, was you. People went here, people went there, people changed attitudes. The only one thing that you could always count on was Sting. Sting was the constant. I got a sick feeling in my stomach. I'm in shock. I guess the only thing I can say for the first time in my life is I'm out of words. I'm speechless. But Luger... I gotta have an answer. What, what the hell is going on? Is everybody summing out these days? Who can you trust? You want answers from me? I don't have any answers. My best friend in the whole world out there in that stinking, soaking rain just stabbed me in the back, Arn. And you know what? 
That makes this match the biggest match, right before the biggest match of my career and everybody else's in here. Makes me want to be in that match all the more. It makes me, gives me the incentive that I've wanted. And let me tell you, I'm out of here because I know where he lives. I know where he works out. It's our gym. He's been my best friend for 10 years, and I'm going to go find him right now. You know, I don't know if you can if you can still trust this consortium or not, but maybe you can touch on it very quickly. Uh, uh, Rick Flair, we're running we're running short on time. Go ahead. Me, Gene, to sort all this out. I've stood here. I've listened to it all. I'm sick of it. The confusion is over. We're the horsemen. We're Art Anderson. We're McMichael. We're Benoit. We're Flair. And if Luger wants to ride, he can ride. We're going to war games. Hogan, Nash, Hall, Sting, we're going to lock the door of that cage. Four of us will walk out. Four of us will pay price that only God will know about, pal. That's it. War games. We're the horsemen. And Winston-Salem, by God, we're coming to town. All right. They don't want the spot. I'm looking at two right now chopping at the bit that we're dying for it originally. By God, maybe they'll right. end up with it. It's a fight to I the death. Yours, not ours. Interestingly, when it's Ric Flair's time to speak, they end the split screen again and go just backstage. When we do get back to the ring, we see Meng um, hit a pile driver, but one of the public enemy makes a save. A four-man brawl, and then Rocco double bulldogs the two um, faces of fear. Barbarian misses a top rope splash to a table on the floor. What the fuck is he taking that bump for? That looked nasty. Rocco then hits a moonsault through a table in the ring to Meng, who just no-sells it, gets right back up. We get a few seconds more four-man brawling, and then Meng just locks in the tongue and death grip out of nowhere, and that puts down the public enemy. Really odd finish that he just no-sells a table bump. And actually, Barbarian didn't stay down long after splashing from the top rope to the floor through an empty table either. Bobby Heenan accidentally says Haku instead of Meng on one of the replays, which is quite funny. Um, and then Gene comes out with the rest of the Dungeon of Doom, including some big guy I don't recognize and Conan, but in these K-Dog attire. So not sure when all that happened. We get an NWO vignette. Um, this one's got Ted DiBiase and the Giant in it. Um, and they're saying that if they win it full brawl, they want their own segment on the show and a tag team tournament. Not sure why they want a tournament, not just a title shot. Anyway, we go to commercial and when we come back, it's time for the main event. And the main event is John Tenter with a strange mustache now, taking on the Macho Man. Macho goes for a slam, but it's blocked in the big man's style. Tenter hits a lovely dropkick, which sends Macho to the floor. And then Macho just picks up a chair and starts beating the shit out of Tenter with the chair to no disqualification. He hits a top rope axe handle and a pair of top rope elbows. But before he can make the pin, Teddy Long comes out and calls him out to the back. The second time in the one show. So they should have probably thought about that when putting the show together. When he comes out, one of the two limos drives off, and there's one left. The WCW guys decide to spray paint it, but because it's raining outside, none of the paint actually sticks or looks like anything. So, you know, the weather kind of got in the way of that. We go back to commercial. Uh, sorry, back to the commentary team. Um, this show is a bit of a mess, yet it's must-watch. It just jumps all over the place and doesn't flow like a normal wrestling show, but the angles are so important that you can't go without it. With some structure, Nitro in this era could have actually been the greatest ever era in wrestling. That's what I'm sort of coming to believe here. Some things like, you know, maybe not having an extended public enemy match, which you're going to cut in and out of, and give Ray and 
and Kidman a little bit longer, not having a five, six minute bunch of recaps in the middle of the show and not having the same angle happen twice on the same show. This could have been really, really special stuff. Even with all the nonsense I just mentioned, it's still must watch and really compelling viewing. We then see Arn Anderson come to the commentary table and start to cut a really good promo. Ric Flair and the other horsemen come out next. They've got some great fire. Flair also gets in on the promo act. I'll splice a little bit of that in here as well because it does make for a good bookend for the show. My critics that I I want to say something. I'm not here to step on anybody's toes. I think the world's in shock. The world's outraged, but there's nobody hotter than the horseman. You see, this thing all began about 10 years ago with Flair, Anderson, Ole Anderson, and Tully Blanchard. And we paved the way, and we showed you how, Hogan. And it just occurred to me, as that gravel was flinging out back, what you want to be when you grow up. You want to be a horseman, but you just don't know how. So you're going to surround yourself with every cutthroat and every thug you can find. And now you even took Stinger away from WCW, the thing I thought would never happen. Flair even said the one constant in this life, whether you believe in Stinger or not, but the one thing you can count on is Stinger. Well, we can count on this, Stinger. You crawl in as the fourth man like we know you're going to at war games. We're going to take your head off. My word to God on that one. I want to say one thing before we turn it over here. I may have made mistakes. WCW may have made mistakes. And maybe we didn't count on Ric Flair. Are you going to let me talk? Have. Huh? You going to let me talk? You can do whatever what do you, you want to do at this point. What you got the horse Get back there for? We need to be out here. Hogan, you haul this. NWO Flash Sting, it makes no difference. We're going to war games. You know what war games is? That's eight guys in a cage, eight guys ready to bleed, sweat, and pay the price. And Sunday night, Hogan, Hollywood, Hulk Hogan, you'll have a chance to walk that long. That brings us to the wrap-up. Time to pick ourselves a winner. This one's not going to be too difficult. Production value I'm going to give to the WWF because of all the things I talked about towards the end of the Nitro recap there. But that's pretty much where it stops. They piped in crowd noise, whereas the WCW crowd were well and truly into what was going on with the NWO angle. It was just a shame we didn't see any of the NWO guys inside the arena because I think they would have erupted. The storyline advancement, like I said, there was not much happening on Raw. It was a bit of a meh, you know, episode. And Nitro, despite its flaws, was absolutely must-see. So storyline and characters have to both go to Nitro. I mean, they're certainly not putting a TL hopper on our screens. Match quality is a bit of an interesting one because there was no good matches on Nitro. Um, this was very angle-heavy. Oh, I tell a lie. Rick Steiner and Lex was building up to be quite good. Um and there wasn't anything great on Raw either. The Undertaker got dominated for far too long against Salva- Salvatore Sincere. So I'm going to call that a tie. But despite the relatively close scores, Nitro is by far and away the better show. Um, maybe just picked a hole in my own ranking system. But I'm way too far deep for any of that nonsense. So don't tell me I did. Um, 
Nitro is just compelling must-watch television, and the NWO angle is fantastic. Um, having Sting, what well, you know, at this stage it's Sting, come in a week after DiBiase and the Giant effectively joined, seems like it might be going a little bit too quick. And I know there's another member on the horizon soon that you'll be able to guess just by what number we're up to and what his name ends up being. But it's still brilliant. And the idea that anybody could join at any time and nobody's safe is making the commentary team seem paranoid. It's making all the wrestlers seem paranoid. And it's giving a really good feel to the show that WCW is under serious threat. They gave that impression when the original three first came in, but now it's like kicking up a notch that like, hey, Sting, who's never left, he's joining the NWO. Who could be next? They're going to have all the top guys. If they don't want you, they'll beat you down. If they want you, you're joining. Like that aspect to it is really enjoyable. Anyway, that will do it for my recaps here. I'm really looking forward to getting into the next set of pay-per-views. I don't know much about the full brawl. Um pay-per-view here for WCW, but I know that Mind Games is a really crisp two-hour show, so I'm going to be getting into them this week ahead, and that review won't be too far away. Thanks, everyone, for listening as always. Thanks for interacting on Twitter. Feel free to send any thoughts on the show, um, anything that you think we should add, but otherwise, take care, and I will talk to you all again very soon.